Well, it's really good to be with you again. It doesn't seem that long ago that I was here, a couple months ago. And uh, what a joy it is to be part of this special day in the life of your church. Um, uh, Pastor Ben has been serving in your new role since December 1st. And now we get a chance to really celebrate that and for me to uh, commit myself on behalf of the diocese as well to supporting uh, him in this ministry and that uh, he will know that there are many people throughout this diocese praying for him and for you as part of our diocesan family as well. And uh, we are so grateful for what God is doing through you all here in Ottawa in this very strategic place. And, um, and that's one of the reasons we're giving those keys, saying, you know, this is a building that is a place for mission and ministry that you're going to be overseeing. So it's a day of celebration of new ministry and God's work. Um, it's also a day, as Pastor Michelle was saying, that's really, it's a year anniversary since Canon Brent, your rector, your previous rector, died. Uh, and it is really a day of remembering him with thanksgiving as well. God's given this anniversary for a reason. Uh, but it's also a day, not only of remembering him, but of giving thanks to God for the gospel of Jesus Christ, who gives us this incredible hope of knowing that uh, Pastor Brent is in the very presence of the Lord Jesus, worshiping him with gladness of heart and soul, uh, complete joy in his presence. And I want to say that, that um, this reading that I want to preach on today is about exactly that. It is about taking joy in God, in knowing that even now, we are in the very presence of the living God and have this privilege of knowing his love for us and the joy of worshiping him as Canon Brent is today. Uh, remembering God's goodness to us that has brought us this incredible hope. This is what the Psalm 63 is about. And I want you to turn to that Psalm. Um, it's not something that's normally used for an induction service or an institution service, installation service, but it gets to the heart of what makes a ministry and what makes a person vital in their work, uh, vital in their life, that really gives joy in serving the Lord Jesus. And so it is actually very, very appropriate for us. Psalm 63 is about experiencing God and having confidence in Him. This psalm was so important that John Chrysostom, who was a very famous preacher and teacher in the church in the late 300s, he said this about Psalm 63. He says, it was <clears throat> decreed and ordained by the primitive fathers, that's the early leaders of the very early church, that no day should pass without the public singing of this psalm. That's how important he thought this psalm is. So this week, you should sing this psalm every day, Psalm 63. Uh, so why is it? Why was it so important in the life of the church? Well, it is about experiencing the living God and having a vital relationship with him, even through the most challenging of times. And certainly in this past year, you as a congregation have experienced really challenging times, times of uncertainty and times of grief, times of really relying on the Lord and saying, why, Lord, why is this happening? 
Uh, and this psalm uh, is essential for each of us then in that journey of life. Because in this song, we learn afresh that the real experience of God will involve loving God, not because of what he can do for us, but simply because of who he is, the goodness and majesty and glory, the love of God, who he is. And the wonderful thing about this psalm is we see what it means to experience God in the life of a real person, real down-to-earth life. What is it like to experience God? And it's from the perspective of somebody who was a man after God's own heart. That's how King David was described. Uh, it's a prayer written by David who Samuel said um, was one that knew God in the deepest way. And so um, uh, this is a gift for us to learn from his prayer in Psalm 63. So look at verse 1. <clears throat> it begins by, by calling out, Oh God, you are my God. And that's covenant language. In other words, it's a language that is about being in relationship with God. The God who created all things. David says, I am in relationship with him. It's a beautiful expression that he knows God and that he is close to God and that he belongs to God. You are my God. Um, my wife Catherine and I uh, decided to name our son, who's now 21 years old, Alexander. And we soon found out that in that generation, there were lots of other parents who liked to name their kid Alexander as well. And so when we took him to the park when he was young, <clears throat> there would often be other Alexanders there. And every class that he was in, going through grade school then, and then high school, there, almost everyone, there was another Alexander there. And so when we have talked about him to other parents or children when they were growing up, we would always say, our Alexander. Or I would say, my Alexander, in order to differentiate him. So, and uh, it was a phrase that meant, he is our son. We belong to him, and he belongs to us as well. And in the same way, David says, my God, meaning that he belongs to God and that God is his God. He is in the closest relationship with God, and he has experienced him. David knows him. And that is what the Holy Spirit teaches each of us as well. This is the great gift of the gospel. You know, Paul writes in Romans 8:15, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters of God, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. He said, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Oh God, you are my God. I belong to you. And when David says that, you are my God, he has tremendous confidence in that relationship. Yet Romans 8 tells us that the relationship Jesus has given to you, the relationship with God the Father, is far more certain you have far more confidence. It is even closer and more intimate and more sure because of what Jesus did on a cross. And so the Holy Spirit says, Abba, Father, to us. David's prayer is our prayer, my God. So if God is close to David, here's the question. Look at verse 1. He said, why does, why does 
why does David say, earnestly I seek you, my soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water? It sounds as though David is far away from God, that he doesn't know God and where he is. This seems to be strange. But you know that David longs after God because he knows God and he is personally close to God. He has experienced God and that's why he seeks after him. And there is really something very awful and very good about the context of him writing this psalm. And you can see it in the introduction there, which by the way is in the Bible. This is not something the editor wrote. This is the Bible. A psalm of David where he was in the wilderness of Judah. Now, the only David was in the wilderness quite a bit. But when he was king, there was only one time when he was living there, and that was when his son Absalom staged a rebellion and forced him to flee for his life. His own son is after him with an army of thousands hunting him down to kill him. That's the worst kind of betrayal. Your son is doing this. It's the worst of times. And we know that David and his people were discouraged and tired and hungry at this time. But the good thing about this time was that anything that could distract David from God was stripped away from him. Everyone and everything in this world had let him down, yet his relationship continues. He belongs to God. God is his God through all of this. And that verse 2, he shares the essence of prayer. It is, it is to long for the living God who he knows and who he belongs to. David has met God. That's why he longs after him. And I think there's a great encouragement for you and for me here. I don't know the story of each of your lives, but I know that you have had significant ups and significant downs. Times of joy, but times of incredible grief as well. Um, there is grief in this anniversary of Canon Brent's death. There is great joy in how God has provided with Pastor Ben. But when you feel that God is far away and you long for him, that is because you know him and you love him. Your sense of God's absence and your dissatisfaction with that sense of absence uh, inside of you is actually a, um, a sign that he has touched you that you experience him. It's like a family or a member or a friend that you love dearly and who lives far away. And certainly I'm experiencing this now having moved from Vancouver to Toronto. You miss them precisely because you know them and you love them and they know and love you as well. And that's why David says in verse two, I have looked upon you in the sanctuary beholding your power and your glory. He's saying there that he has known God. He has worshipped him together with other people of God. And we don't know what exactly David experienced for him to say, I have seen God's power and his glory. But it's very likely that it's because he has heard of God's power and glory in the many acts of rescue from God's word as it is spoken in the place where God gathered together, his people together. And he would have seen God's power and his glory in the praises of his people 
as they sang about God, as they rejoiced in what God has done for them, and as they obeyed God. And he also would have seen the symbols, as we have symbols here too, but he would have seen in that place of worship, the tabernacle and so forth, the symbols of the holiness of God, the majesty of God, the greatness of God. Um, he would have also seen um, God's glory and his goodness in the sacrifices of God's people, knowing that God forgives sins. That's what that points to, that God actually makes peace with God, with his people. And then I think um, David saw God's goodness and his power and his glory in his own repentance. You know, Psalm 51, he publicly told everybody, I have sinned in the most terrible way you can imagine, and God forgives me. God makes me white. He covers me with righteousness. And this is the glory of God. I behold, beheld your power and glory. And so you can see that he has tasted the goodness of the Lord. And that's what he hungers and thirsts for as he writes in a forsaken wilderness as a forsaken king. And wonderfully, look at verse 3. David says, your steadfast love is better than life. Wow. He's saying, to know your commitment to me, to know your mercy and your goodness poured out on me, uh, it's to know that you love me and you'll never fail me. This is better than anything in all of life. And he's saying that as king. So in God, David knows his security and his identity and his purpose and his hope. And that identity is one who is steadfastly loved by God. David prays in verse, verse 3, my lips will praise you, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. Wow, that's his response to knowing that God steadfastly loves him. And what David is doing here is he is worshiping God in what he says, in what he does, and with his hands. You know, with my lips, with my hands, and with, in my soul. So he's saying, it's not just in church. It's not just when people's, God's people are gathered. It's in the wilderness as well. It's by his speech and his action, his whole life, that he that he praises and blesses God. And like David, that is your identity as well. You are steadfastly loved by God. And the natural response for us, like David, is to bless God as long as you live. It is our greatest privilege. Now, this psalm closes. Um, you know, it, it, it is said in verses 1 through 4, that um, the health of our souls is, is, is all about having a spiritual appetite for God. It makes us think of our appetite for God. A big appetite for God causes us to seek Him and thirst for Him when in the cycles of our lives we might feel very cool towards God. And a poor appetite prevents us from tasting the goodness of God. That's what this is saying, have a spiritual appetite for God. And as we go from this psalm, the last part of it, verses 5 through 8, talks about David's experience of what it means to truly experience God in three ways, in three very simple ways, which I want to say. How do you experience the goodness of God? The first thing he says in verse 5, David says, is desire God. Very simply, desire God. 
My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. Um, fat and rich food had a very different connotation than it does today. We sort of avoid that for our diets, but that was something to crave, to say that is the best food that you could possibly go after. And it teaches us that only the very best food for the souls is what we should desire to be filled by. And the implication is that we should say no to unhealthy spiritual food that spoils our appetite for the real God. Say no to the unhealthy food. Now, when those, my, I have two boys. I also have a, a son who's 18 as well. And I'm, again, looking back to when they were young. <clears throat> They're not so much this way now, but when they were young, they would inevitably be hungry for something really unhealthy 15 minutes before their supper. That was their pattern. And, and when we offered them something healthy, well, have a carrot or have something like yogurt, they would say no. They wanted something sweet. And the thing we would say is what my parents have said and parents in the world have said for generations, you will spoil your dinner. <laughs> you will spoil your dinner. Um, and parents say that because they want their children's appetite to be for real food. Food that will strengthen and nourish you. Food that will make you healthy. For us, it is the same way spiritually. Sin ruins our appetite for God. Sex and power and money, when used sinfully, when it becomes our God, are, are God substitutes. And they do not feed the soul. They do not bring lasting joy. Those are the things that were actually taken away from David in the wilderness. And it's no accident. That's why this psalm was written at that time. He could seer, clearly see the goodness of God. He could see that only God could satisfy him all of the time. It is only God who is perfectly steadfast, who does not betray. Only God loves us in every part of our life, with our future in our hands, in his hands, which is Jesus Christ. He is our future as Canon Brent can tell us. The psalm calls us to this discipline of saying no to idols and instead thirst for the deep water of God himself. Desire those things that cause your lips to praise God and to be filled with the best food and drink for your soul that only God can give. So he says, desire God. And secondly, David teaches us to remember what God has done for us. And this is crucial because David is teaching us that in prayer, we bring God's word uh, into our lives. This is what prayer is doing. And what we do in those prayers is we remember, as we read scripture, the saving work of God in the past that affects our present now and our future through the hearing and reading of God's word. We also do this as we take communion. Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, as the children very rightly said. Uh, for David to meditate on God is to think about all that God has done for him. God's goodness and his power and his love for David revealed in God's word and creation. And this morning, we see much more gloriously than David could have imagined in the death and resurrection of Jesus, the glory of God, that we, he forgives us. He adopts us as God's children forever, and we know his steadfast love for
from now into eternity. That's, it is just a shadow that David experiences, and we know it now. Uh, verse 7 is wonderful. I don't know if you noticed this, but he says that as he remembers God has brought power and goodness and saving work into this world, he says, it's for me personally. You have been my help. In the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. He remembers how God has been his help in his own life. God has not only rescued Israel, he has rescued David. And that's good for our own prayers. This morning, consider what is the testimony of God's goodness in your life? How has he personally loved you? How have you experienced being in the shadow of his wings in the really difficult times of life? This is a wonderful way to prayer, pray, to remember what God has done. And finally, third, after calling us to desire God and remember God, David teaches us to persevere with God. Persevere. He says, verse 8, my soul clings to you. Literally, it pursues, pursues God. And it says, your right hand upholds me. So he's teaching us to experiencing God, to experience God by persevering in our devotion to God. And David says this because he knows God's right hand upholds him. And did you know that the right hand of God was symbolic in the ancient world of someone's greatest power and ability? That's what the right hand of God meant. And so David is saying, I am confident that God in all his power upholds me. And so David pursues God. To whom, to whom else would I turn? Even when God seems very distant. And this is not always easy for us. We need God to uphold us with his power as David prayed, with the power of his right hand. And that's why Jesus gives us his Holy Spirit who helps us to know that we have a Father in heaven who has created all things, and he loves us. That's a real expression of confidence of God in the lowest of times in David's life. Um, and I want to close by saying that there is a very odd thing that we didn't get a chance to read all of it in our psalm today because we actually cut short by two verses. And in there... Paul's writing in the psalm that he's being pursued by people trying to destroy him. And that's his son, actually. But instead of taking justice into his own hands, his soul pursues God. In his prayer, he trusts in God for his justice, and he leaves it with God. And, and therefore, in verse 11, his one commitment is to rejoice in God. And he calls everyone else who is true to God, all who swear by him, to rejoice in him as well. And that's how we leave this psalm. And I think that our lives can be taken over by small injustices, actually sometimes big ones, against us. You have been hurt. You have been misunderstood. You have been unappreciated or underappreciated. And we want some justice, maybe a type of vengeance, like a comeuppance to the person who has hurt us. God calls us to forgive. When we rejoice in him and in his forgiveness for us in Jesus, there is an incredible strength 
that God gives to you to forgive. We forgive as God has forgiven us, to seek reconciliation and to entrust, entrust justice to him. And so I close this sermon by saying, David experiences God as he desires God above all other desires, as he remembers who God is and what he's done for him, and as he perseveres in his devotion to God. And so I want you, as you have read this great psalm of experiencing God, to notice that David knows God has provided every good thing, food, safety, and the greatest things of hope in God's love in Psalm 63. He doesn't ask for anything of God in this time of need. Instead, he delights in God. And he blesses and praises God, lifts up his hands and souls and voice to God, worship, worshiping him in all of his life. And so I invite you, brothers and sisters, to delight in God today. When you love God, you do so simply because of who he is for you, not because of what he can do for you, which is very important too. But may each of you see that the very best thing in your life is the Lord Jesus himself. May you desire his good and, and uh, may you desire our own good as you look to him. May you remember his incredible goodness to you and may you persevere in loving and worshiping him for all praise, glory, honor, and blessing belongs to him forever and ever. Amen. Okay, well, we get to do some... <laughs>